Today, I'm joined by Sif Haider, the co-CEO and co-founder of Array, a wellness brand offering 100% natural supplements for the millennial woman. Join us as we uncover Sif's personal health journey, how a wedding funded the start of the brand, and what Sif envisions for the future of wellness. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Founded Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs about some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success, and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable in Maine, a modern health wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable in Maine has been an incredible journey so far, and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you're an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, it's a delight to welcome our guest for today, Sif Haider. She's the co-founder and co-CEO of Array, a wellness brand founded upon a simple principle to help women feel their best so they can do their best. And after years of struggling with health issues, Sif decided to take matters into her own hands and discovered a solution through the holistic combination of herbs, vitamins, and minerals. She realized that although these ingredients had the potency and efficacy to overcome her health issues, they still remained a huge white space in the wellness industry. So she launched Array in 2019 with her husband Nish, creating chic, organic, effective supplements that work in an under an hour to help women combat everyday issues like digestion, bloating, and anxiety. I truly believe it's brands like Array that are shaping the future of wellness, and I cannot wait to learn more about where the brand began and where it's headed. So Sif, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I swear you were born to be a podcaster with that voice <laughs> and that accent. My goodness. <laughs> oh, well, I, coming from a podcaster yourself, I take that with huge pride and um, I'm blushing right now. Uh, and if anyone doesn't know, I, I didn't really talk about it a lot in the intro, but Sif has her own podcast. I'll put in the summary below and you should all check it out. It's incredible. Um, but also you should check it out on her socials because for me, it's like when you see like the, the video format, which I wish I had, but Biden. That is, I think, the best part as well is the, the reactions when I see the comp- the conversations you have. Um, so yeah, and one day hopefully I'll be on it, which we're working on. Oh, absolutely, we will definitely get you on it the next time you're in LA. Oh. So Sif, I start the conversation with always the same question. So I'm going to ask you, who in a nutshell is Sif? I would say I am someone who is very purpose driven and just wants to make a difference and an impact in the world. And so that's kind of always been my why throughout, I would say like the entirety of my career, even prior to working on Array, it's always been my through line. So I would say like, if you're to describe me in like just the most loose terms, like, you know, this is what you need to know about her. That's probably, I would, that's probably what I would say. I love that. Well, you know, also one thing I want to start with is sort of the childhood uh, upbringing, because I think as South Asians, we have probably very similar uh, memories of the importance and impact of beauty growing up. But I want to know what was beauty like for you growing up? Like, what was that Sif lens on it from a young age? I think it's interesting because I grew up in a household where, of course, my mom really cared about um, instilling like wellness and beauty habits. However, I was told from a very young age that 
who I was on the inside was the most important thing, you know? So Mm. I was kind of trained to work on my personality first and foremost. And it was very much like, if you're a good person, if you're kind to people, you kind of like glow on the outside as well. So I feel like those two things kind of very much went hand in hand. And then beyond that, I think It's interesting being where I am right now in life with a wellness company where, because, you know, so much of my upbringing was, okay, like health and wellness is really important. How we eat is really important. Being active is really important. Um, You know, doing good for our bodies is really important because it's always like beauty from the inside out. And then of course, like there were things that like, as a Brown woman, I've just known my whole life, like coconut oil for hair and, um, you know, like just like small beauty things. Like I was always playing around with different things for like skin. And there was just like this, like intrinsic interest within my household, I would say. Amazing. And and do you find like it was something that stemmed from mother, grandmother, like, like what was your true source? Cause for me, it was my grandma. And I always kind of give my mom a bit of like stiff up stick for him. Like, hello, like when did you ever massage my hair or do these rituals or connect with me on beauty? Uh, but yeah, who did you find? I think when it came to like, um, more natural sources of like beauty, like coconut oil, or, um, there was, I, I forget, like it, it's a chickpea powder that my grandma used to use on her face to like scrub it. So that was from my mom's mom. And then wellnessy things kind of came from my mom because she was always more interested in like a little bit more holistic where possible. She's also like been like a big believer in Western medicine too, but she's kind of always combined the two. And so I think that that's where my belief of a time and place for both comes in because she's kind of always had a really balanced approach. It's not been one or the other. And when I was dealing with health issues, she was the one who was like, you really need to explore holistic, even though at that point I was veering way more towards Western medicine. I was like, I don't know if I believe in, you know, Eastern at all. Like I moved away from home. It was just like a little bit different. And she was like, no, you should really try holistic because it's just like whatever you've been doing hasn't been working. So I feel like I've gotten um, influenced by both my mom and my grandma in, in that sense. Uh, yeah, I love that. I mean, I can relate as well. And interestingly, you know, coming to the West, um, I know you spent a lot of years of your life in in, in Canada. Yes. Um, and uh, tell us a bit about your Canadian, because now you're in LA, but obviously Canada is a big part of your mm-hmm. life. Um, tell us a bit about Canada, also where you met Nish and the story of how you guys met first. Yeah. So I moved to Toronto when I was um, probably in like second grade. So most of my childhood was spent in Toronto. And then I actually moved to Bangladesh for high school. So I was like, you know, a very typical, like, I guess like what uh, a third culture kid, you know, where I felt at home in Toronto, but I also felt at home in Dhaka. And I think, you know, as I reflect on my life, I think that because I moved around, that was such an advantage because I'm really able to move without any difficulty and I'm able to make friends kind of wherever I go. Like I'm not tripped out at the thought of like moving countries or cities or whatever. And then I moved back to Toronto for college. I went to University of Toronto and that's where I met Nish. We met in our third year of college, started out kind of as friends, like, you know, within the same friend circle and then started dating. I would say like 
six, eight months into knowing one another. And we've been together ever since. It's almost 12 years, which is so wild. So, so it must be so crazy to see it evolve the relationship too, because not, not only, you know, you started as friends, then obviously a relationship and now your business partners. Yeah. I, I always wonder, and I'm going to ask you the question, like, you know, because whenever I go to a room and I say, oh, I, I have a business for my sister, or my loved one, and people are like, I say, would you? And then basically no one puts their hand up. What was it like? Did you, did you kind of, like, yeah, how did you decide to co-build something together with Nish? So Nish and I are very different, but like complementary. So my background, even in school, I was an arts and science student. Um, I was just really, I was just a very creative person. But the in school, what I studied was, like, I was on the path to pre-law, essentially, even though I knew I didn't want to do that for fairly early on. Nish was an engineer, so he was, you know, went to school for mechanical engineering. And then when we both graduated, I went into, like, very creative, you know, um, started out in PR, then publishing, and then started my own um, blog and social media channels. Nish went into software development, product management. So you can see how we were so different right from the start. And when I started to um, get invited on press trips and stuff because of my blog, I'd often take Nish with me. And I started to always like bounce ideas off of him when it came to things to do with like my blog and my social media. And his lens on it was always, he'd always think of things in a way that I hadn't thought of them. And I was like, wow, he's so smart. And I learned so much from him. And um, the way that like, I'm being able to structure things is very much because of him. And so we knew that we worked really well together. And like, our goal was at some point to start a business together, but we just had to land on like the right thing. And so um, I had like, you know, I was dealing with my own health issues and kind of had gotten into this whole world and saw this like big white space. And so when the idea came about, I was like, Nish, like, we got to work on this together because essentially we both knew that we cover each other's blind spots, which is essentially what you want in a co-founder. And of course, because we'd been together for so long, we also knew that we had like very strong communication skills and that we mm. each other had a very strong work ethic because we'd seen each other be completely relentless when it came to our careers. And so we were like, if we put these things together, we will very successfully, I think, at least start building a business. So that's kind of how things came around. I think it's made our, our relationship so much stronger. And it's like one of those things, like I'm sure you feel the same way with your sister, where if it works, it really works. And it brings you so close together. And then for some people, it doesn't yeah. work. And you should recognize that. Like if you're good at the same thing, don't go into business together. Like I feel like it's a, it's a big no. Like, it doesn't work. Usually. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Like you're both doing the same thing, you know? So yeah. um, when it works, it works. And I'm really lucky that it does because, you know, I get to work every day with my best friend. Exactly. And I, th I think also it becomes our superpower once you, you figure out how to harness it and, and cultivate it and let it shine when it needs to and let it, you know, have its moment when it doesn't. But I, I do think it is a journey. And I think it's also important to know like what we feel, for example, in our first three, five years of business is going to be different than what might happen at point of exit or, you know, in 20 years. And, and I've seen this in my dad's company, you know, and family business, how things can change even after 40 years. So I think it's about always reminding yourself that there has to be work done on both sides to consistently make it work. And I'm not saying fully has to be 
family first, friendship first, business second. I think like, you know, there are days where you have to, you know, sometimes prioritize the other, but I do think uh, it's important to, to always keep it pulsing and do your best to, to keep both of them work. Um, cause I've seen it happen where it takes sometimes a l- little bit longer. Um, and even me, I'll be honest, I have moments now where I'm like, Ooh, like I don't, I'm not enjoying this about working with my sister and I have to, you know, work double as hard to not just ignore it, but now tackle it and not, even though it's com- uncomfortable and I think it's going to be a moment where it'll pass by, it might not. And I have to tackle it now. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying is like incredibly important because I think that when you are working on a fast growing startup or like, you know, a business that's incredibly demanding, it's very, and you're working on it with like your, um, a loved one in your life and you have family member, sister, best friend, whatever, like husband, I think it's really easy to kind of default to becoming co-founders. If you don't also prioritize that relationship in its entirety, you know? So for example, like having times where you and your sister can connect as siblings versus co-founders, like I'm the same way where Nish and I connect as husband and wife, and we have designated times where we don't want to be co-founders. Like, you know, we need to just show up for each other as husband and wife. And I think that you can't really lose sight of that as you grow a business, if you're going into it with a loved one. Agreed. No, and I think it's, uh, it's important that, you know, before you start the journey, you're, you're, you're ready for all of those potential decision makings that will need it on the journey. Absolutely. But again, as we said, it's always, if it can work, it can be your superpower. So don't let that stop you just let you think about it a bit before exactly um but uh now talking about you know then what you've created array um tell us about how it started i am um, in terms of like okay i i know the why right you had y- your own desire to explore a holistic route into all these things that could help change your life from your health condition but at the same time to create a product a brand the name like how did you settle on all of that? So, I mean, it was when it comes to ingestible specifically, it is a very long journey. It's not, it's not simple because this is something that people are literally putting in their bodies and we needed to make sure that our formulation was absolutely perfect. So first things first for us was, um, finding a doctor that we could work with. So we worked with, um, a naturopathic doctor. She owns the top eating disorder clinic in Canada. And we worked with her to formulate bloat and calm. And the reason we started with bloat and calm was because number one, like I had issues with digestion and anxiety. Number two, anytime either of us would hang out with our friends, the number one thing was, oh my God, I'm so bloated or, oh my God, I'm so anxious. And we decided to triangulate this by speaking to doctors and realized that these two issues are intrinsically linked. So when we are bloated, you know, our body goes into fight, sorry, when we're anxious, our body's going to fight or flight mode, making digestion really hard. Similarly, when we are dealing with any sort of bloating, if you think about the mental real estate that it takes up, you're constantly just like thinking about how uncomfortable you are. And so in order for us to really come up with a holistic solution, we wanted to tackle both because both were important pieces of the puzzle. So that was number one, that we needed to find a doctor. Number two was a manufacturer who would do a smaller run because once we had the formulation perfect and, you know, we had like, you know, the samples, it was, okay, we need to find someone who's not going to do like a run of 100,000 units, which is 
pretty much what's normal. As you know, working in beauty, like the minimum order quantities are just outrageous. And so for a young brand who's self-funded, that is, uh, that's, that's a tall order, especially because you don't know if this product is something that is going to do well once you launch, it could and also a big thing is is is, is that shelf life. Which oh my people god! Don't really understand, right? Like you have to, especially if you go to retail, you've got to deliver a certain maybe eighteen months, twelve to twenty months shelf life. So, in a way, if you're not consuming the hundred thousand in, in, if it's only a two year shelf life, you've got to make a new batch, and that's not profit. That's not that's just dumb if you're not going to sell it, right? So yeah, you're throwing it all away or. So it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's super hard. So we had to find a manufacturer. And of course, like we had other criteria. It's like, where are they sourcing their ingredients for? Is it all organic? Like we were really specific. So it was just like one thing after the next. But as you know, that's just kind of like how it is to start a business. You know, it's like one foot in front of the other versus you know, letting all of these elements kind of, um, intimidate or overwhelm you. So it was really just, okay, what is step number one? Step number one is formulation and working with someone who is really, really trustworthy and a master at their craft. Okay. Number two, we have that covered. Let's find someone like a company who can like make the whole thing. And then it was, um, tendentially like package, you know, making sure everything was designed well. We worked with um, a design agency and that we needed to find again, like these things are so expensive. So we had to find like an agency that was like a little bit more affordable. So it was like a lot of different things, but for us, it took about a year and a half to two years before we, so our, we pre-launched the product in 2019 and officially launched it in 2020. And, you know, it was two years of work, um, ahead of that. And I'm glad we pre-launched it in 2019 because, you know, we were able to get feedback on things like pricing and nail down our messaging and, um, you know, start building a community. So when it came time for launch, I, we knew we didn't have, you know, budget for like a big splashy launch, but we could like go harder based on the information we'd gathered from pre-launching the product essentially. I, th- I think it's also not really talked about enough the importance of potentially pre-launching for any size business because it gives you some lead way to to you know apart from the clinical tests and all that stuff which we can do on the background this gives you like consumer tests feedback iron out any of the, the cogs that are not working and and just gives you a moment to breathe before the journey ahead. It's like a warm up before the, the run, right? Uh, stretch a bit, you know. Uh, I think not. Not many people talk about it, and I think it's really important um, to plan for the the pre launch. Honestly, I think that it, the the um, feedback that it gives you is incredibly valuable, you know, because you even understand yeah. like sometimes you think that when you're messaging something out, one thing is going to work, but when you get real time feedback from your customers, you see that maybe they are taking something else away from it. And then you realize, okay, like it's actually really effective for us to double down on this messaging because this is what's resonating with um, a larger majority of people. And so it's just a really nice way to dip your toes in and kind of see what's working and what's not working before you kind of go full steam ahead. Now, so now tell us about the range of array products people can find today uh, for certain concerns that they might have. So we, um, as I mentioned, started with Bloat and Calm. Um, then we launched Sleep because sleep is also a big um, part of the digestive health puzzle. You know, when we aren't sleeping well, we are just like not eating the right things. Our 
digestion is significantly slower. Um, you know, it, 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 it kind of gets in the way of your ghrelin leptin hormones, which is our hunger hormones. So there's like a lot of things there with sleep. Then we launched um, Gut Boost, which is essentially a bitters, which you drop into your water ahead of having a meal. And it helps with things like cravings, making sure you're eating the right amount of food, making sure that you're absorbing the nutrients like you're supposed to. Because nowadays we are just, you know, in this habit of eating in front of our laptops and like the food comes out and we're just shoveling it down our throats essentially. So what a bitters does is it gets your saliva going, it starts your digest, or it produces more digestive enzymes. So your body's actually ready to receive food. So that's bitters. And then the, the last one that we currently have is um, heartburn, which is pretty self-explanatory. It's for heartburn. And I know it's not, you know, a sexy topic, but we, we were like, this is an issue and we're going to make it sexy. So um, those are kind of our current product offerings. <laughs> Uh, it's amazing. And then distribution, like where are you guys? Is it predominantly a D2C business first? Uh, do you have distribution that you can share? Like- yeah. So um, we are primarily D2C. However, you can find us at certain retailers. So here in LA, we're at Erewhon, we're at a few other specialty beauty retailers like um, Pelicure, if your audience is familiar with it. Um, and then in also similar in like other cities, like we're at Sage and Sound in New York. Um, we are at G beauty in Toronto and Miami. I mean, we have like tons of like specialty retailers. And then in Paris, this is our first, um, beauty or like retailer in Europe. We are going to be at the Dior, Dior spa at the Plaza Athenae in Paris. So if Amazing. any of your listeners are in Paris, yeah, go find us there. Oh, I'll go to, I mean, you know, um, I mean, some of my listeners might be some of my ex-colleagues from Dior. So that would be cool to, to definitely go check out. Wait, you were um, at Dior? But, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, that was my main job for, I was in the head office for about over three years. In Paris? That was my main job, yeah. In Paris, yeah. Stop, how did I not know that? Yeah, I was in, my job was in charge of like um, the paid influencer side, affiliate marketing, social, like uh, globally. And then before that, I was at Estee Lauder. So I was in a bit of a corporate world for about six years. Oh my God, I that's... Jump into, yeah. Wait, did you meet Lainey <laughs> while you were at Estee or was, was that before her time? So me and Lainey, we didn't meet, mm-hmm. but Lainey was my first ever guest on the podcast. And we were like literally talking like without saying it, we were like, we know the Estee situation. But Estee was an amazing company to work in. It was um, just both of us, I think at the time had our own like social media like side of things or in like either shared a blog mm-hmm. or like a social media following so we were like these new in 2016 these new employees that like were kind of entering the, like social media I remember like they were telling me oh like we're not used to someone having an audience and posting about stuff so we don't know how to handle that because we never had like an influencer in the company yeah. and they said there's one person in New York who's doing something similar and I was like oh I didn't know who that was and then later I was like it was Lainey. So it's so funny. Wait, that's how, crazy. Uh, we both had like some, yeah, it's so crazy. So crazy. Oh my gosh. Um, wow. So what yeah, a small world. Yeah. So no, it was an incredible experience, but trust me when I say having worked at Dior to get a partnership at a place like Plaza Atene, also when Dior just barely does partnerships and when it keeps to their own brand, uh, it's very rare. So that shows a lot about what Array is. In the industry, so that's a great, great thing. I, I will say that from an in, in, in an insider. Thank you. Uh, I, I've presented many 
potential collabs and opportunities and every time it was like no no let's see let's see maybe not yet that's really big I'm really proud of you that's awesome I was honestly Um, like unwell when I had my meeting with them I was like uh, like what is happening I like I couldn't compute but I was really like we're really happy we love the team um they've been very kind very easy to work with so really lucky that it worked out such good news Oh, that's amazing. That's really great news. Uh, well, next time I'm in Paris, I'm going to check it out and everyone should too. But um, in terms of like sort of now the future of Array, what's on the pipeline? What's some of your goals, short term, long term? So we have a few um, really fun products launching. So we have something coming up end of September and then we have something coming out in February So our goal with product launches, because we are a health and wellness brand, is that we're not like you're never going to see us release like a new product every month. It's just not how we work. We instead take our time. We release like maybe two products a year at the very most. And we take our time educating our audience, um, making sure that, you know, this is like really top of the line. And we take a long time to formulate our products. So you know, the, like we launched heartburn in February, we've been working on that for like a year and a half before it even launched. So it just takes time to formulate like really high quality products. And so we do two every year and every time we do, it's a really, really big deal for us internally. And also of course, as we present to it and make sure that we're doing the product launch in the right way. So, um, yeah, we have these two products coming and I'm so excited for both the launches because we've been working quietly for a really long time. Uh, And I think exactly, as you said, it's about, if you've also got great products, I think brands get obsessed with newness because of retail and because it's easy revenue in. But often I can tell you like all my last, like maybe not my last two launches, but the launches last year, they're like now our lower skews, like straddlers. And it just shows like if you invest in your cores and you build and build, it's sometimes more profitable and better to spend your marketing on that, then launch a new product, spend all your budget there just because it's short term and long term, it can affect you bigger. So only think about mindful product development, like what's needed, what's essential. And if you can, less is always more. That's why I believe in. Um, And I think it's a very important thing you said is like, you're not, you know, you don't need to create so many things. Yeah. Also, I think that consumers often take time to like really learn about the product. And I think that the danger with too many launches and trust me, like, you know, we've felt that pressure as well, where it's like, okay, like, do we launch more? And because it's like easy revenue and all of those like business considerations, but something that we've learned is that if a brand is constantly launching, a consumer doesn't have time to learn about the the old launch by the time the new one is launched. You know what I mean? It's like exactly. so much that they're like, okay, but, but like, what do you mean? Like, I thought you just launched something yesterday, you know? So that was kind of our philosophy. It happens all the time, but, but like sometimes, you know, it's normal. Like as founders, I, I, I even say this and I'll still do it. So it's just normal. We get sometimes excited because you have consumers saying, oh, maybe you want this. And totally. I'm like, oh my God, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And then you're like, actually, it makes no business sense or, or that's an amazing hit. You got to try, do things, you know, do it at your own pace, but at the same time, just just always check in, like, what's the reason? Is it needed? Okay. Is there something out there that's so good that we can just collaborate with and partner with that brand instead of just create it? Like there's not always a need to, cons- to create more and, and but put ourselves that consumer hat as if we are consumers too, you know, I, even like sometimes my sister will be like, or in the meeting will be like, um, oh my God, I'm obsessed with this like dry shampoo formula from this brand. 
And then sometimes someone will say, should we look at how we can recreate that in our way? And I'm like, but if we love it, let's just keep on buying that one. Like, it's okay. You know, I'm uh, totally it's, with it's you. Fine. And I think what you said um, a little bit before this is actually quite important. You said that it like finding interesting ways to maybe collaborate with another brand. If this isn't like a, a product that you necessarily need to launch. Like, I think that as things evolve in um, beauty and wellness, I think it's really important to be collaborative and see like, what are creative ways that you can have the newness without necessarily releasing a new product? So um, I just think that as uh, like our jobs as founders is constantly being creative and thinking how we can bring that newness and excitement to the brand um, without necessarily launching a product if it doesn't make sense. Fully agreed. And um, one thing I want to talk about as well now is your podcast, because I think it's so important to shed light to what you're doing there. So the Dream Bigger podcast, can you tell us a bit about it? So I started my podcast before podcasting was cool. I started it in 2019 in January, and I had no idea what I was doing. But again, my, um, my purpose was essentially I wanted to bring people information directly from experts. So back then I was um, a creator and I had a blog and I would constantly share things that I was doing, but people would always be like, okay, but why? And I'd share everything as to like why I was doing it. But, you know, for example, if it was to do with skincare, it was because I had learned it from a book or I had listened to a skincare founder on a podcast or like something really interesting from a dermatologist or a chemist. And so I was like, what if I brought this information to my audience? And I wasn't into YouTube because I was like, I don't know, like I'm not, I wasn't someone who was constantly on YouTube, but I was like, if there was an audio format that people could listen to on the go, I think that would be really interesting. And so that was why I started the podcast. And, you know, it's called the Dream Bigger Podcast because I wanted to give people tangible resources to live out their dreams. And dreams are like very different from for everyone. Like it could be really good hair for one person. That's their dream. Or maybe for someone else, it's having like a multi-million dollar company or a really healthy, strong relationship. So that was kind of the the, like the content that I wanted to bring to people. And I love doing it. It's probably one of my favorite things that I get to do. And like, as a podcast host, I'm going to ask you this question, but like, but when, when do you, like, when do you either stop or move on or upgrade? Because eventually as much as we love it, it's quite time consuming as a founder, right. Of our own business. Mm -hmm. And there are days where I'm like, like I do two podcasts. I release two podcasts a week. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's already a lot. I should straight away just maybe go to yeah, one. Yeah, what, <laughs> like two already. podcasts but a two, week? That's insane. I know, I know. I've, I've just hit over 200 and something episodes soon. And like I, my brain, but I have a wait. The reason why is I have a waiting list of brands and there's always a founder, fa uh, founder a beauty brand out there. There's so mm -hmm. many. And I want to, like I get so much joy speaking to them and I consider it like a one hour Zoom with a friend. Absolutely, yeah, I feel the same way. Record. Um, so that's why I continue it. But then I get days where I'm like, okay, I barely get good listens sometimes. Some episodes work, some don't. I spend a lot of money on it. And then, yeah, I don't know where it goes. So like, I, I know why I'm here because every day I get my listeners message me saying it really helps. And I'm like, great, yeah. this is my motivation. But I'll be honest, like, I don't know how long I'll continue for, right? Like, it's a lot. Um, so, do you get days like that? I don't I know. I mean, so, okay, look, I 
thankfully I'm at the point where I have help. You know, I, I was, I did it on my own for a long time. Now I'm with a studio. I'm with Dear Media, which is incredibly helpful. I have them doing the, like the putting the show out and all of that. And I think also as, and I'm sure you feel this way as well, where as you podcast more, it's, it gets a little bit easier. So first of all, I only have people that I really, really want to speak to. And when they come on, it's a very easy conversation. You know, I don't need to spend 30 hours preparing for this because I know that I'm going to go into it and I'm a curious person and I'm going to ask the right questions. So that's kind of how it goes right now. Also, I do one episode a week and I batch like crazy. So there's yeah, me too, yeah. two times a year where I take one to two month breaks. And I feel like that kind of helps me so much from like a mental place because I like, if you're constantly doing the same thing, I feel like there's a lot of fatigue and as it's like a creative thing that we're doing. And so you lose out on the creativity and joy if you're doing it consistently, you know, week after week without any breaks. So during Chris, not even Christmas, I would say like, December and January, like the whole two months, I will not do a single interview. And so that means that I have to batch everything ahead of time. And same in the summer, I typically take a month to six weeks off. I typically, I typically travel during the summer and I want the flexibility. So I feel like though, like that is like something that really, really helps because I don't know, it like brings freshness and it also helps me, um, hone in on, okay, like, am I really like, what kind of people am I really excited to interview? And I think over time, I've started to say no, a lot more than I say yes. And that's okay. Like, that's how my show is evolving, where maybe last year, I would have had someone on but this year, it's just not a fit anymore, because it may not be like the most organic conversation. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I I really do feel like the breaks are key. I think it's a really good, I think like for me, uh, just hearing as well, like just, it's okay to be a bit more selective and protective. You need to. Yeah, exactly. And, and, And luckily, you know, my forum is mainly online. So it's a little bit easier in the sense of if tomorrow someone cancels, it's like, cool, I'm in the office. I can just go back to my, my emails. Right. So it's not like as, um, like I have to go to a studio, but I did try that. And, that's scary sometimes because like you, you book it out or you, you plan mm-hmm. it and then they could, someone can cancel like one hour before and you can't really do anything. So there was a, where I get a little bit, um, I need to, I, I think maybe subconsciously I have done things mm-hmm. to make it more sustainable, yeah. but I think it's exactly that is find the sustainable measures to make you do it. Because ultimately the reason why we started, the reason why we want to do it is still the same. We love this conversation. We get inspired by these new friendships we make and we want a story a place where people can hear these inspiring stories to help them. So that, if that's the core find ways to make it last. But yeah, it is hard. Obviously the reason why I'm saying this is I'm three years in, two years in, whatever. I feel it, it gets these points where you have to again, check in and be like, okay, am I still doing this? Okay. I'm still doing this. Let's go. Also, you know, what's really interesting, Akash, is that I think over time there's like been some things that have surprised me. So I never used to do any solos. Okay. I'd never done a solo in my whole life. And then I would get so many DMs about, again, like people asking me things that they wanted to know from me. And so I did one solo and I was like, who is going to care that I have like, you know, my own thing to say, like, no one's going to listen to this. And I realized that that was like one of my highest performing episodes. And I was like, what? Like people care for solos now. And so Mm. I felt like now I do more solos. I'll like do them 
I would say like in four to six week increments, but that was really me listening to what my listeners wanted. And also like, I felt like that allowed some newness into what I was doing. And I think that with something like podcasting, again, it's a creative thing that we're doing when we're doing the same thing over and over again, that's when it starts to get like, kind of like repetitive, fatiguing. Exactly. And so I feel like try to think of like new things. Like that's kind of what's helped me where it's like, you know, if viewerships are low on a certain type of episode, then I'm like, okay, maybe people don't really want that kind of content. Like what's the kind of through line between like these people that I've had on, which my listeners maybe are not as interested in. And sometimes that's surprising to me, but if I like look at the data, then I'm like, this is who I should be speaking more to. And like, chances are like the kind of conversations I'm having by speaking to those types of people are better anyway. So I feel like those are the things that it's like, I don't know, like being like a little scientist when it comes to your podcast. <laughs> I know that it's been so, that's so such helpful tips. I, uh, it's, it's just been not a big issue in my head, but just pondering in my head, which is why Absolutely. I was like, what better person to ask than Sif? Cause like, you know, you're, you're my goals in podcasts. And I think like, but I'm wondering uh, like, she must've had some similar thoughts. It's really helpful to know how you've sustained oh, all the t- built like- it. For sure, I felt that way, you know, like when Ray was first taking off and I wasn't with a network and I was doing everything A to Z, like, of course, I was like, yeah, it's super hard. I was like, I love doing this, but like, I'm freaking tired. Like, I am really tired. Like, I, it's, it's taking up so much time and like, I was exhausted and I just, I, I had moments where I was like missing a couple of weeks. And then of course I found a way to like, again, like make it sustainable. But I think like those thoughts are like, it's normal, you know, it's just kind of the ebbs and flows of like building on something. I love that. I, and I think also it's important to to communicate with people like I am with you and stuff, because not everyone, yeah. A lot of people feel they're on the journey alone, but there's so many people that have gone through similar stuff. So, you know, of course there's mediums like podcasts to listen to, to hear, but like just DM or like ask a friend or someone and, you know, hear their story because maybe they'll be able to really help you um, to to navigate that thought process that you're going through, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's one of the nice things about, um, I guess like being a founder, like I, I like being in a space where you have other people like that, you know, either on the internet or whatever that you can rely on. And I think like, that's why even conversations like this that we're having are so important because again, it's collaboration and like leaning on each other when you have certain thoughts or like maybe you need help or whatever it is. Like we, we got to stick together, you know? With founders as well. I will also, this is is more of like a remark I'm noticing in the industry today, but there are so many brands that are launching um, in any vertical, but let's say beauty for now, that's what we're in. And then they're getting acquired by strategics quite early on and having, you know, me having worked for big strategic companies like L'Oreal, Coty, all these big giants, you know, the game changes a bit then, right? There's access to more funds. There are certain Mm -hmm. relationships with retailers and i'm noticing it now where like some of my newly founder friends are like straight away three years in are gearing up for acquisition Mm -hmm. and for some like 
myself, I don't know about yourself, but you know, for, uh, for me, I'm here still a bit more in the longer run because I'm enjoying it. I've still got more to do. And I also um, haven't yet hit the numbers that I would maybe want to hit that they have. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, I'm still here. And, and ultimately, I need that collaboration from similar founders and stuff because we need to also stick up for us kind of like non-strategic heads because we don't have that group. But if we can syndicate our own group and help each other and to, to stand out in this tough industry, maybe work on an, uh, a strategy where we can get a few brands and split costs for some field staff or work on a co-event and do three brands, host one editor dinners and split the cost three ways. Like, those are things we should do yeah. because the strategics are going to do it. And we need the help too. I, I couldn't yeah. agree more. And also I think like doing things like that is so smart because you get to tap into a wider audience. And that's actually yeah. something that a strategic doesn't necessarily have the capability to do, but that's like a brand founder's superpower. And so... And even the, the strategics might not want to because they're a little bit col- competition then collaborative. And that's okay for them. That's their mindset. Trust me, when I was at LVMH and these companies, it was always like... With, even within the conglomerate, don't share our plan with this brand. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it's the same owner. <laughs> but still, they were like, do not share it. I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> so it was a little bit, this is probably why I'm a little bit more deeper into this collaboration mindset is because I was trained for so long in my corporate world to not collaborate. It was like, mm-hmm. actually, you would get told off for collaborative. I remember my first week in, I got an email from someone at LVMH and I remember I accepted the meeting and met them and it was, mm-hmm. and then I got in huge trouble by my boss at that time, um, who is no longer in the company. And she was like, you never accept a meeting. We are, we are, you know, we are a uh, We don't do that. And I was like, what? Like, I thought this is LVMH is our company. Like, what am I doing wrong here? Right. And I remember like, actually crying on that first. Cause I was like, oh my God, I made a mistake straight away in the first oh. week and I, and I didn't understand why that was a mistake. And actually, it was not a mistake, but still, it felt wrong, right? But yeah, I knew this was the game I was playing in those companies. I mean, I'm I'm honestly like, I don't like it either. And I'm glad that I think culturally, I, I would like to think that we're moving away from that because, you yeah. know, I look at even just like, myself and my um, relationships. And it is with so many other founders. And I have always been of the belief that there's room for everyone to win because there is, you know, I think that every company has a very unique voice. And the only reason you should be intimidated is if you haven't really worked on that voice and that community. So I think it's actually like very advantageous for everyone to kind of like help each other because there, like, there's only things to learn and then we can all grow together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'll leave it with one final comment before we go to fire round. And that's mm-hmm. to the listeners is if you are in that mindset, but it's still not happening for you or your brand, just be the first to start it because I'm sure many will, will want to, you know, like sometimes we, we, we sit and we think, oh, I'm friends with so many founders and, but then nothing happens. But sometimes one of us, and maybe it's you, it's got to start that first kickoff in the idea. So maybe today that's your moment, your call to action is like go out and maybe start messaging a few founders and start that collaboration or project. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's that's good homework, guys. Get, do that's what he's homework. saying. <laughs> exactly. I'll be I'll, and I'm going to do the same too after this podcast. <laughs> I need to do the same. Take my own medicine. Um, <laughs> but um, before we get a fire round, I have a desert island situation. It's a bit tricky mm-hmm. because I feel like. You know, it's hard to choose between your beautiful products and what's needed also for your current 
need. But uh, if you're going to take only one product with you on this desert island from Array, what's your go-to? Oh, man. Okay. So I'm going to say situationally, considering the fact that I'm on a desert island, probably calm because I will need to remain calm. <laughs> you However, never know what's lurking. Desert, yeah, you, don't, you never know. But if the desert island had all the, you know, fittings that you, I would need to like live comfortably on the desert island, I'd probably bring sleep with me because yeah. honestly, I've been taking it every single day since we launched the product almost. And my quality of sleep has never been better. Like I wear an aura ring and yeah, this thing is too. insane. Like uh, it's it's like a life changer, honestly. So probably sleep. I didn't know. Also, you have jet lagged on that desert island. You have a thing called Aura Circle, isn't it? You can like see or track your friends or your sleep. Have you seen this? I just saw it pop up, but and now I'm just going to start sending requests out to yeah. people and be like, well, ah. I'm going to add you. I'm going to add you. I'm going to release. Uh, and then you're going to be like, Akash, you need to take more sleep. I'm like, I know, I know. Uh, yeah, I, I will have to probably ship you some if I'm not happy with your I, circles. I, I, I'll, I'll buy it myself. I'll get it. But trust me, I need it. Um, so fire round questions. If this is first thing that comes to your mind, then I'll let you go and continue your day. But the first question is, What's another beauty brand, any vertical, that you're currently loving right now? Oh my God, so many. Um, I'm going to name two. Is that okay? That's perfect. Okay, so of course, Say. I am a diehard customer. I love their products. They're, um, what's it called? The the Glowy Super Gel. That's the one. I have it under my makeup. Oh my God, it's so good. That would be number one. Number two, I've been really loving um, the Tower 28 SOS spray. I feel like that, again, yeah. is like a mainstay in my routine. Absolutely love. Those are the two. If I had to name two, no, I shouldn't say this because there's so many beauty brands, but generally, if I had to name two of my favorite, I have many more guys, but two of my favorite makeup brands right now, it's Tower 28 and, and Say. So I'm the same. Yeah. I would have done the same. Both. Yeah. So good. Very, very um, I love them both, both founders as well. Yeah. And also, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to name a third because I can't yes. talk about um, makeup without skincare. And I am obsessed with the Mara beauty cleansing oil. Have you used it? Yeah. It like melts yes. your makeup off. Oh my God. What the hell? I, I, I use it like, um, cause I, I, I don't wear, I mean, I do wear sometimes concealer and stuff, but I use it as a, as just like a cleanser and it's so good. The packaging is beautiful too. Like, wow. I know that? it's like, it's, it's an incredible product. So love all those three. And, and you know, sometimes I'm biased as well because I just love the founders too. So I end up loving the product. I know, more. It's same. That, it's that, you know, <laughs> that effect. Sometimes I'm like, they could create anything and I love it. Uh, but, uh, but it's generally true. those like, are actually very good. Support. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's why I, was, that's why I created this podcast. Because like people would connect more when they know the founder and then they'll be more loyal because they like the founder. So it's important, right? Absolutely. Them, I completely agree. Out there, yeah. Next question is, what or where is your happy place? Probably traveling somewhere nice. And that kind of changes. I feel like when I travel, I kind of get like a zoomed out view of what I'm doing in life because it shakes me out of my routine. So I would say probably... Probably that. I like that. Next question is, what is your hidden talent? I don't know if this is a, I guess this is a hidden talent. I was going to say something else, but I'm going to say this. I can bake really well. I used to want to be a pastry chef, so I loved to bake my whole life. I love that. Oh my God. Okay, next time, uh, 
not bake off because I'll lose, but like bake baking together when I'm in LA. Okay, love um, it. I do love baking. I will. I will. I have one story which I will share. But I won the, uh, my first job was at Burberry. I was an intern, uh-huh. but I won the the bake off in the marketing team, and there were over a hundred people in marketing, and I won the bake off. Okay, so maybe we, yeah, we definitely need to do. But, like no, 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 a, no, but I have to preface why I won. Why? <laughs> why? Like, did everyone because, else just suck? No, because I'm an artist, back, so I actually just like did a really beautiful piping of the horse, but the uh-huh. cake itself was just like some bready, Betty Crocker like thing. I'm not actually good at baking that way. I'm just good at designing. And then everyone tried the cake and it was like, oh my God, it's amazing. I need your recipe. And I was like, oh, it's secret, <laughs> secret, can't tell you. But it was just literally like a. <laughs> The, the the cheapest thing but anyway there you go perception of look versus taste people still think the taste is better when it looks good so there you go that is so uh, funny <laughs> but I'm, I'm definitely not a baker I should preface that um my next uh, last question is if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur mm-hmm. and a podcast host and you know what would Sif be doing right now okay so I feel like I was a um like probably like a luxury travel agent in a past lifetime. Okay. I am obsessive when it comes to planning out itineraries. I love researching good hotels. So probably that. That's like also the best trait for like a friend of yours, like just to be a friend of yours, because any trip you go with Sif would probably be like the best organized, beautiful trip. So no, it's like, like, honestly, yes, I have a spreadsheet. It's, it's like borderline psychotic and I I don't like, I'm just like, let me do it all. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, but to be fair, like I, I'm, I'm similar in a way where it's like I don't mind taking control. If, if you know, if we're going to go all this way, I don't want to make it where it's like last minute figure it out. Things need to get booked and places need Absolutely. to be mapped out. And, you know, you don't just go all the way and then figure it out. I like, guess it's spontaneous and it's fun, but let's have a little bit of planning, a little bit of organization, you know, it's needed. Yeah. Like so you I'm, need to I'm know where you. you're eating. Like I'm not out here like eating at some random place that. No. And after time, every time you go there and everyone tells you, and then you, you call and then like, oh, next reservation in two months. You're like, well, there you go. Didn't book it. You know? <sighs> yeah. No, right. absolutely not. Planning is the way. It's a, it's a way. Um, well, Sip, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you and I'm so excited to continue the conversation hopefully on your podcast next so we'll we'll, we'll get that arranged but in the meantime where can everyone continue to follow you and the brand so you can find us at array.com or array.co on social um me personally i'm sif hyder and my podcast is the dream bigger podcast you can find it anywhere podcasts are found i'm gonna put all the links in the summary people can just tap straight away and uh i'll see you very soon over in the stateside or if you're in london before you know where to who to hit and um Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Found the Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.